Arts respectfully acknowledges the Kawishpa Kawiakna, also known as Kawia Band of Indians, and all nine sovereign bands of Kawia people who have stewarded this land throughout the generations and continue to steward this land for all future generations. Idlewild Arts Foundation is proud to present One World, One Idlewild, the series, in conversation with Pamela Jordan. The series brings together thought leaders, creatives, influencers, and changemakers, highlighting the work of citizen artists whose careers and lives have been shaped by the transformative power of art. Today I'm speaking with Tan Bowie, an award-winning Australian Vietnamese singer-songwriter with numerous gold records and number one hit songs around the world. Tan, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Pamela. Thank you for having me on this show. Thank you. I had the privilege of attending your educational forum in 2018, and I was struck by your passion and vision for the youth of Vietnam. So I'm really looking forward to sharing your story with our listeners today. So let's start at the beginning. Your parents, uh, I believe you told me your parents left Vietnam around 1981, and you were born shortly thereafter, a year, year and a half, two years. Tell me that story. So uh, Vietnam at that time, we were just coming out of, of the Vietnam War and um, my parents were part of um, the people that wanted to find a new life, um, new opportunities. So they left as refugees um, in, in, in 1981. They, uh, they got to Bidong on this little boat with about 100 other people. And uh, it, it's one of those stories that still resonates with me today in terms of my sense of identity, who I am, where I, where I come from. And, and uh, they were fortunate that they survived because 50% of the people that left the shores didn't, you know. And, um, and so they got to Bidong at the refugee camp and then they were fortunate to go to Australia. And it was then when they got to Australia that uh, my mother always tells me very proudly, son, you will conceive the very first day you got to Melbourne. So you're an Aussie boy and you're a Vietnamese boy at the same time. So that's the story. I was, uh, you know, literally nine months, 10 days later after <laughs> arriving in Melbourne, I popped into the world. So <laughs> hello world. <laughs> now we know where all the energy comes from. So, and, and you embraced music at a very young age. Were your parents supportive of your desire to be a musician? To be honest with you, I was just very fortunate to have the opportunities in Australia to um, have contact with music. So I remember as a five-year-old, every kid would get a recorder and, uh, and a guitar. And, you know, and then I somehow, some, you know, I had people, my teachers um, identify that I, was kind of okay at it. And I remember having my first piano lesson by a sister. So I went to a, I went to a Catholic school and, um, and the, the Catholic school, um, you know, supported my, my education and, and, um, and, and it was from there that I really got into music and I loved it. I wouldn't say that I had the support of mom and dad to become a musician, but I remember it as a young age, they, they supported me just to do whatever I wanted to do, to learn whatever that I wanted to learn. Uh, and it wasn't until much later when I was about 17 and, you know, I was sitting with my friends for the first time singing karaoke in Melbourne. And I was singing a boys to men song. 
um, because I'm just I'm you know I'm a huge Boys to Men fan. I was singing End of the Road, Boys to Men, and and my, my, my after I sang the song, there was silence, and I'm like, was I that bad that I couldn't get some kind of round of applause? But then I realized that my mates were completely shocked that that you know that sort of came out and and that feeling that, that that they gave me and all that kind of stuff plus the fact that I you know I always you know I always admired you know, people like Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, Michael Jackson, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I always wanted to sort of be be an artist, but it was that night as a seventeen year old that I thought you know what I'm going to give this a good good red shot, and um, and I'm going to do it. But that that same summer, when I got my marks from from year twelve, I knew that I had to convince mum and dad that I that this is what I wanted to do. So I sat down with them, and I remember very clearly it was like you know this this warm day in Melbourne, and I knew I had the marks to get into medicine. That's what mummy mother wanted me to do to be the typical doctor, and dad wanted me to be a, a to do commerce law, and I sat down. And I said to them, Mum and Dad, I really appreciate what you want for me, but I want to become an artist, a singer, songwriter. And then you had this this deathly silence for about two minutes. And they literally just said, if you want to do that, then you can leave. And I'm like, what do you mean leave? And they get, well, if you want to do that, then you can leave. Meaning go, leave, do it. And that was... Many years later, I thought my you know, mother would sit down with me and said that was just her saying, you know, just just you know, testing me out. But she didn't expect me to actually leave. But that's exactly what happened. And I came back literally eight years later, and um, and I said to her, look, I've you know, I've done A, B, C, D. I've signed my first record deal, second record deal, done this, my publishing, blah 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 blah. And finally, as a twenty-five-year-old, I. I um I came back and I said and and we we made peace you know and and uh, so that that's sort of the, the 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 quick story in terms of trying to do music because I was an Asian kid growing up in an Australian uh, society and I, obviously you know we are a minority in in Australia and so I always felt a little bit left out I always felt that you know how am I going to break into music and my mother would constantly tell me son there's no one on TV there's no one there's no Asian artists that are broken internationally. So what makes you think you can do it? You know, so just don't, don't, don't think in the clouds. Don't just go and do, go get a good job, get, you know, become a doctor, make a good living and live better than the way that we used to live because, you know, mum and dad didn't have an education. They came to Australia with no language, nothing. They were potato pickers. They were, they worked on the farms. Then they learned how to sew jeans. And so for many, many years, we were living in these sweatshops, making jeans for three, four, five dollars a pop and living, surviving and, 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 and very lucky to sort of get through all those situations. The mother just wanted me to you know, pick up the pen, write something and feel, you know, feel better about life and have a different status in society. And I said to her, look, you know, mother, I, I'd rather live. Uh, you know, die than live a than than live a life half lived, and then when I sort of think back as a seventeen year old and standing up to your mother like that, I'm like, woo, okay. <laughs> so that that is just a, a heartwarming, 
heartwarming story and and it speaks volumes to young people who really have that passion. Um, so many of our students at Idlewild Arts, of course, they have the support of their parents um, to even attend a school like this, but they often leave, you know, friends at home, family at home who, who feel the same, you know, go into something that, that's more secure. But that passion, you, you, you've described that passion that a young person has when they know they want to do that. Um, and talking about singing with your mates, tell us about one of the things that you did um, was you competed in Australian Idol. And, uh, and especially as an Asian American, Asian American, Asian Australian, you actually, you actually uh, placed in the top 10. Um, Pamela, I have to say that doing Idol, Australian Idol was the most scariest thing I'd ever done in my life. And even thinking back now, when I look at the clips, I just see this younger version of me, so uncomfortable, so not vulnerable enough. And what, what Idol was, was this opportunity for me to understand what it meant to be an artist. Because for many years prior to that, you know, I traveled um, the world and I've, I'd worked with many artists throughout, you know, throughout um, different territories. And, and I sort of thought about it and I thought, well, what am I doing? I, I'm actually running away from the dream that got me started I wanted to always be a solo artist, not to be in a boy band, not to be standing behind somebody else. Because when you're writing and you're producing, you're, you're, you're in the background. And I, I, I kind of said to myself, look, you just, just give it a go. And so when I did Idol, uh, that year, I remember, I think there was about 32,000 applicants and, and, and auditionees. And when I got through to the top 100, I'm like, oh, this is cool, okay. This is a, a, a all right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then it got down to the top 32. I'm like, okay, this is getting serious. <laughs> you know, when, when you're just having fun and you don't think you're going to get anywhere, um, you know, you're just, you're so free. But when you, you start getting some expectations, you start to go, oh, I better prepare for it. I better do this. I better do that. I got to the top 24. Then I got to the top 12. And for me, it was such an amazing learning experience because first of all, I had to literally grow up on TV. And it was this, this feeling of, of, of learning how to deal with criticism that at that time I have failed to do that. I, I found it so difficult to be told that this is not right. This is not right. You're like this, you're like that, you're too, this, you're too, that. And so what, what, it, what, it, what it got me to do was to start to understand the definition of what it means to be an artist. And, it's it's called being vulnerable. So I, I learned to be vulnerable and and you know and I'm so thankful for that experience. I met some of my all-time idols. You know, I, I met Cindy Lauper, you know, and I sat there and she was just telling me, Time, you're so uptight, man. Come on. And she was shaking me and, and she was just telling me, You got you got the vibe, you got the talent, you got the voice, you got the, the you got it all, but it's about the vehicle that you express through time and you gotta you just gotta chill out, time. And then I, I met, you know, I met Savage Garden, I met Darren Hayes, and I'd I'd grew up with this music, you know, singing his beautiful falsetto and and learning so much from the way he sings. And and I'm sitting there, man, this guy is so vulnerable and 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 it was so easy to connect with as a human being. And that's it was it was amazing. And and I think the other thing that really 
helped me during that time was the, the actual support from my own community because the Vietnamese community was literally the first time that uh, a Vietnamese Australian had sort of done something like that in, in the field of music, arts, entertainment. And I, I will always remember uh, this, this anecdote, which I'll quickly share. I would go into the Vietnamese community and, uh, and have a bowl of pho, yeah? And so I'd come in and you know, they'd all be clapping and, and I always felt, oh, yeah, thank you. I sit down and this lady, and she's in her 50s, she comes up to me and she puts um she she actually puts a a, a letter on on the, on my table and i say you know um hello lovely to meet you and she goes uh, i open the letter and in the letter there's a phone bill and and i, I i'm like um she goes uh, i think you owe me some money i'm like what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, you know, laughing and smiling and trying to understand. She goes, I voted for you. I voted a lot for you. I spent a lot of money voting for you. Now it's time to pay me back. And it was, you know, those th those are the things that made me realize, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is beautiful. And what, what my own Vietnamese community sort of gave me was this sense of time you're Vietnamese. And you need to reconnect back to your roots, because at that particular time, you know, I, I had literally nothing to do with my culture. I couldn't, I could barely speak the language at that time, um, because I'd been out of home for a long time, and you know, I wasn't living in Vietnamese communities. I was living in in more Anglo-Saxon communities, doing the work, um, being in the industry. So I, it was it was idle that really kickstarted for me this whole thing about you know who am I. And it's those moments that you start to realize as an artist to be vulnerable, which means that you've got to look deep inside. And that's when I really started my artistic journey um, during Idol and post Idol. My guest today is Tan Bui, an Australian Vietnamese singer songwriter with numerous gold records and number one hits. We'll be right back. Idlewild Arts Academy is an independent boarding arts high school whose mission is to change lives through the transformative power of art. Located just two hours inland from Los Angeles and San Diego, and one hour from Palm Springs, the school sits on 205 acres of forested land in the San Jacinto Mountains. Academy students receive a challenging college preparatory academic curriculum while engaging in pre-professional training in their chosen arts discipline. The school is also home to its world-renowned summer program that serves children, starting at age five through adults, age 95. Idlewild Arts believes that art is the greatest teacher of humanity and that the practice of creativity, no matter the ultimate expression, hones each individual's desire and ability to craft global change. To learn more, visit idlewildarts.org. Use code OneWorld2021 to receive a $50 discount to the 2021 summer program. Quantities are limited, restrictions apply. At Idlewild Arts, we believe that art is the greatest teacher of humanity and that the practice of creativity hones each individual's desire and ability to craft global change. Please consider supporting the students of Idlewild Arts and visit idlewildarts/giving to make a gift today. This is One World One Idlewild the series presented by Idlewild Arts Foundation. My name is Pamela Jordan. My guest today is Tan Bui, an award-winning Australian Vietnamese singer-songwriter with numerous gold records and number one hit songs. 
Tan has returned to Vietnam to build an ecosystem from education to arts and culture to media. Why did you feel it was time to, to move back to Vietnam and to, to really share uh, yourself as an artist at that time? It just, you know, like I said before, having begun to connect with my roots, I then I just had this pull, this 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 pull back to my home to, to the homeland, and to retrace my steps and to sort of really find out who I was, you know, and and I did after um, Idol, I did a show in America called Paris by Night, which is a very famous Vietnamese variety show that I think has won some Emmys and all that kind of stuff, and I did the show. And uh, Paris by Night 96, and I remember very, very clearly. And I sang a song called Mirror Mirror, which was for the first time in my life I'd sung half Vietnamese, half English. And, you know, the response was, it was out of this world. Like, I, I thought, when I, when I hear back the recording in Vietnamese, I, I've, you know, I'm not sure whether people actually understood what I said, because I still don't understand what I said, you know. <laughs> Did they feel sorry for me? But, you know, I I, but I I can't listen to that because my Vietnamese is horrible, you know? And, and it was because of that song that in Vietnam, everyone started to, it kind of blew up in Vietnam. And and I was so humbled by that. And then they, you know, a lot of the, the, the producers, the artists, they called me and they said, Tan, come back to Vietnam and, and, and see what it's like back in the homeland. And I thought, what the, really? Like, I'd never been back as an adult, you know. So I, I, I literally said, you know what? I'm just going to go back. And then my mother said, once again, she goes, don't go back. And dad says to me, we almost died three times getting out to give you a new life. What are you doing going back? And that really hit home, Pamela. That's like, whoa, this this sense of the... Because the, 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 mum and dad don't talk very much about the war. They don't talk about their experiences and... I just realized that that pain is still there. They haven't quite moved on yet, you know. And once again, just being the very hard-headed boy that I am, I, I said, you know what? I'm going back. It doesn't matter. And so literally two weeks later, bought a plane that had no return date. I went back. I met up with everyone and things happened in a way it was very serendipitous. And and then Unforbidden happened, which was the first single of, um, which was the lead single of my first album, but that was also um, the theme song for the movie, um, uh, which became at that time the biggest movie in Vietnam box office wise. And so it was just all of a sudden, biggest box office, biggest song of the country, boom, second song I'd sung in Vietnamese in my life. And I'm like, okay, something's going on that I can't explain. There's a bit of magic going on. so. I should listen to my heart and just, you know, really start to, um, to, to, to sort of, you know, find out who I am. And that's what I did. Yeah. So in 2013, you founded Soul Music and Performing Arts Academy. In 2016, you founded Asia Music and Performing Arts Education. And in 2017, you founded Embassy Education Group. You are an extremely successful singer-songwriter, why have you turned your attention to arts education? Wow, thank you, Pamela. Um, when I came back and I had, you know, very fortunate to have that success, it made me think about, you know, why there are not other artists like this. And at that time, I was working very closely with the Koreans 
and I'd worked with the Japanese and with some of the top groups over there and and had the chance to work with BTS, you know, wrote the first single off their first international album that made them go um, go, go worldwide. I thought, what what's going on in Vietnam? You know, I'm Vietnamese, I'm coming back to Vietnam. What, 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 what can I do to help my industry and to bring Vietnamese talent outside of Vietnam? And, you know, if in Vietnam, there's a saying, Sung Ka Vô Lai. And what that means, if you can't become white collar, you become blue collar. If you can't become blue collar, you become an artist. So we are literally on the lowest rung of society. There's no respect for artists here. You know, we don't stand with the presidents. I mean, the, the inauguration the other day with with Joe, with President Biden, you had Jennifer Lopez, you had Lady Gaga. I mean, artists throughout the world, we are the the, the, the speakers of truth. We are the most authentic you know, expression of the day of the times. And so I realized that this is, you know, far deeper than standing, you know, on a stage in front of 50,000 people. I really love teaching because that was something which I'd always done throughout my life. And I decided at that time in Australia, I had you know, schools and organizations. I thought, you know what, if I'm going to do this, it's all in or all out, you know. And so I, I closed everything in Australia, came back to Vietnam, and we opened Seoul because at that time I felt... The industry was so soulless. It was, you know, there was no musicianship. There was very little writing going on, storytelling, you know, and 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 then I realized why, because the first pop music, the first music that came into Vietnam was in the early '90s. So I sat back and I asked my wife, uh, darling, what's the very first music, Western music that you listened to? And she goes, Backstreet Boys. That is their reference point. Backstreet Boys is their reference point. And then I thought, wow, so you don't know Michael Jackson. She goes, who's Michael Jackson? You don't know Stevie. You don't know, you know, The Temptations. You don't know, you know, all of that stuff. And she goes, who are they? Wow. And then I realized that the Vietnamese industry is literally only 20 years old. Post-war, Vietnam was still closed. And then in the 90s, the government opened up and our industry is so young. So... This was our opportunity, my opportunity to do something to better build infrastructure. And I believe that education is the key pillar of building the future for our young people. And that's why soul and education, arts education, because I believe that with a population of almost 100 million people and 60% of us are under 30, we have such incredible, incredible potential as a country to contribute to the world. And you know when I when I go when I when I have had the opportunity to travel internationally, people still think of Vietnam as a country that's still war torn, that they still think that we don't have internet, and they and you know, that doesn't make me upset or anything. It just makes me think that this in, incredible opportunity for Vietnam to rebrand itself, to position position itself as the tiger of the east, as a country with so much potential. You know, and that's why arts education, because I believe that through the arts, there's no greater communicator of our culture, of our contribution on the world stage than through the mediums of arts. Well, in addition to arts education, you are also at the forefront of social change and have held ambassadorships with Wilderness Foundation, Wild Aid and the United Nations. With this, you are linking the arts to education, to industry, and finally society. Why do you think it's important to link society and the arts? Um, 
I think it's so important because we are the expression of the society. And I think as artists, we have a role, a responsibility to tell the truth, to be authentic, to be able to raise questions and raise ideas that many people may not may feel you know may feel afraid of sharing those ideas and that's our job we're the beacon of hope we are that's 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 why we have to be so vulnerable and to feel and so when i do you know i'm so um passionate about working in society because the more i'm able to connect with people from all walks of life it teaches me about sensitivity it teaches me about compassion and it teaches me about the power of what the arts can do to be able to affect change. You know, if I, I just give you one example. Vietnam, unfortunately, is the number one country that uses rhino horn. Not China, not any other country, Vietnam. I mean, think about that for a moment, that the population of, of rhinos in South Africa, in Africa, is being decimated by the Vietnamese which is horrible. It, it's a plight on our, on our country. But through the power of music, to be able to raise that awareness to the young people, they are standing up and they're saying to their parents, mum and dad, this is wrong. You should not be doing this, mum and dad. And because the elites in Vietnam are the ones that have the, 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 the means to be able to, to purchase um, these products, they will only listen to their children and it's through them that we make change. So that, that, that for me is such a powerful anecdote to the work that we're doing here in Vietnam is to be able to lift up people's awareness, not, not I won't say educate people, but to share the right message, but to share it in a medium that is easily accessible and done in a way that people can, can connect with. And that's what arts does. It connects people with people. Yes, you you have, and I know that that our listeners can just hear your optimism and your enthusiasm, and you have such vision. What's next for you? What's next? Um, I am going to come back as an artist. I'm dying, dying to get back and to finish my album. Um, this album for me is a very important piece of work for me because it's after Idol, I went on this writing journey. I had the opportunity to work with people like Red One and um, and, uh, and and Wayne Hector, who've together, you know, they've they've written they've you know, written something like you know hundred a hundred you know, top ten hits, you know, and but it's you know I feel like I've given so much of, of my sort of my life to 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 everyone, and I feel like I just need to take a bit of time for me now, you know, to soul search for me to get back to my own core values and and uh yeah getting back to music that, that's one thing that i really want to do um secondly I, I i want to continue on this pathways of education to continue this pathways and and to and with the next generation that we're developing to actually bring them opportunities to go to schools and amazing colleges and and and, and um, arts institutions like yourselves like underworld for example and so that Vietnamese um, kids can have the opportunity that other kids have at the highest level so that they can become the best versions of themselves to, to have opportunities that they may not get in Vietnam and then afterwards bring them back to Vietnam to recontribute and have this ecosystem. 
so I still hope, you know, we can produce Grammy Award winners and, and, and Emmy Award winners and all that kind of stuff. It's going to take time, but I absolutely believe. And with uh, the support of people like yourself, Pamela, throughout the years, it's, uh, you know, we, you know, I know that together we can make things happen. Mm. Tan Bui, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I wish you the absolute very best on all that you're doing as you move the arts and arts and education forward in Vietnam. Thank you. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful year ahead. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> My guest today was Tan Bui, an Australian Vietnamese singer-songwriter with numerous gold records and number one hits. He is an ambassador for social change and is founder of Soul Music and Performing Arts Academy, Asia Music and Performing Arts Education, and Embassy Education Group. We'll be right back with my next guest, Wyatt Rosenthal, a senior filmmaker at Idlewild Arts Academy. Idlewild Arts Academy is an independent boarding arts high school whose mission is to change lives through the transformative power of art. Located just two hours inland from Los Angeles and San Diego, and one hour from Palm Springs, the school sits on 205 acres of forested land in the San Jacinto Mountains. Academy students receive a challenging college preparatory academic curriculum while engaging in pre-professional training in their chosen arts discipline. The school is also home to its world-renowned summer program that serves children starting at age 5 through adults age 95. Idlewild Arts believes that art is the greatest teacher of humanity and that the practice of creativity, no matter the ultimate expression, hones each individual's desire and ability to craft global change. To learn more, visit idlewildarts.org. Use code OneWorld2021 to receive a $50 discount to the 2021 summer program. Quantities are limited, restrictions apply. At Idlewild Arts, we believe that art is the greatest teacher of humanity and that the practice of creativity hones each individual's desire and ability to craft global change. Please consider supporting the students of Idlewild Arts and visit idlewildarts giving to make a gift today. This is One World, One Idlewild, the series, presented by Idlewild Arts Foundation. My name is Pamela Jordan. Today, I'm speaking with Wyatt Rosenthal, a senior in the film and digital media department at Idlewild Arts Academy, Wyatt, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the three years. I could bore this audience with meeting you at a restaurant in town, uh, but I've been so impressed with you from the moment I met you. And what stands out to me the most about you is your passion, your will, and your drive. You are so driven. I'm convinced you can be anything you want to be in your mind but you have decided you want to be a filmmaker. Tell me about your journey that led you here to Idlewild Arts to pursue that dream. Um, yeah, so uh, from a very young age, I, I grew up in a household where art was just extremely prevalent constantly. Um, my dad was a visual artist. Um, my two brothers, one wants to be a musician and actually is touring with his band right now. And the other is an aspiring actor in LA. So it was like art was just a constant um, in my house. And so initially um, I wanted to be a writer because I just loved telling stories and I'd like play imaginary games around my house and, and whatnot. And uh, 
as I kind of started to go through this uh, interesting part of my life, you know, dealing with a lot of anxiety, um, my brother showed me the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And uh, when I watched those movies, I immediately fell in love and I just fell in love with the combination of all these art forms coming together to like tell this one, you know, grand epic story. And I just like thought, oh my goodness, I have to do this. And so I, I would take my parents' phone and I'd film myself running around the house, fighting imaginary foes and, and uh, all sorts of things. And then, um, you know, this developed into more of a dream um, of mine, you know, realizing that uh, as I grew older that I could like pursue this and, and do this for the rest of my life. And I just, I fell in love with that concept. I was just like, I need to, I, that, that's what I need to do. So I got my first job at 14 so I could buy my first camera. Um, I worked the entire summer and I bought my camera and then I started making movies. I looked up YouTube videos. Uh, anything I could get my hands on. I then started working at a rock gym and bought uh, a drone because I thought drones were the <laughs> coolest thing in the world. So uh, I bought one of those. And um, then one summer, my parents and I were driving down to California to meet my brother who was in LA. And they they looked at me and they were like, Wyatt, like, you know, so filmmaking, this is this is something that you that you want to do. And I, you know, I said, yes. Um, and my parents are some of the most amazing supportive people in the world. So uh, they were like, awesome. Uh, well, there's this school. And I was like, oh, really? And they're like, yes, the school named Idlewild Arts. And I was like, that sounds interesting. And they at the time thought there was no way that I would want to go to this school because it's a boarding school. And I, <laughs> you know, going away from home was a big deal for me. And um, and a family friend of ours had gone to Idlewild previously. And so I said, no, I want to go look at it. And so I, I toured the campus and I was just like, okay, this is where I belong. This is where I need to be. And um, then of course the application process, being able to afford it, all this stuff, and it all came together and um, here I am. Your story is so remarkable and you're what, 18 years old now or something. It's just, you you just have such drive. Um, you know, when you when you visited Idlewild, I think one of the things about it is that we're out here on 205 acres. We're nestled in in the San Jacinto Mountains, 6,000 you know feet. Um, what did it feel like when you came to the campus? Because I think you like to hike, or what what was it like when you came to to visit the physical campus? It it the first thing I noticed when I stepped out of the car was the smell. It's just that smell of like pine needles and like fresh mountain air is just something so unique. Um, and I just like, I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And then I'm just walking around and it's like this, like, you wouldn't think some place like this would exist, you know, way up in the mountains. When we were driving up here for the very first time and going through this tiny town, I was like, so this is like, this is a big, big school. And, and it was just, it felt like Hogwarts, you know, just like <laughs> nestled and it, it was just, it, like I said, it just immediately got drawn to it, fell in love with the idea of it. And the, and just seeing that sense of community that everybody had was just probably what really just sparked me. You know, uh, one thing that's special, I think is special about Idlewild Arts, I'm sure that everybody does, and that, that, that all of the students are just passionate artists from around the world. Everybody is, is focused, whether they want that after high school or want that as a career or not, everybody is really immersed. How does it feel to collaborate with your classmates? Would you have to do a lot of that in film? Yeah, so that's actually probably one of my favorite things. And um, I've based 
my senior project this year around collaborating with um, specifically uh, a music major. And we're creating um, a concept visual album, which is like a series of songs that all transition into each other. And then I'm shooting the visual component for it as my capstone project. And so it's like a very long free flowing music video. And um, that, that process is just, uh, is so awesome. It's like, you're working with somebody else who's just as passionate, but at something that you don't really understand. And then they can help you understand it. And you can kind of convey what you're looking for. And then they just make it happen. And it's just, it, it's just so awesome. I just, it's like, I'm trying to, find more descriptive words but it just truly is like a really special fun experience and and in the film department so you know you came in as a sophomore and uh eager to go but I'm sure a little intimidated by some of the seniors who were here um how do you work with the other students in the department especially as you see some of the incoming students um some of the newer students you know what what's your role in the department how do you how do you do that yeah. Um, so just like you said, when I came into the department, it was definitely um, a little intimidating. Um, I knew nothing. And I was I'm grateful that I knew I knew nothing because um, that definitely ha gave me a very open mindset coming in there. And uh, this one particular postgrad took me under his wing and um, he taught me so much and became one of my closest and first friends at Idlewild. And um you know i made so many movies with him even outside of the department and i've just really kind of tried to base my relationship with new students off of how he treated me of just welcoming me in you know without a second thought teaching me everything he knows um and you know just showing me the passion and and how far you can go in this school which is you know making stuff that's on professional level um and that if you showed to a studio you know, they might think that it was made by a bunch of adults and not even think that it was a uh, student film because there's definitely like this stereotype of, oh, that's a student film. It looks good, but you can tell it's a student film. I don't really see that at Idlewild. I, you know, the the quality of work that comes out of here is extraordinary. And and the, the people who come here know that and they just want to continue to create that quality of work. And yeah. You know, I, I'm going to out you a little bit here, Wyatt, because I think you're being modest. The first film you made at Idlewild Arts was Child of Society, and the film was accepted into the All-American High School Film Festival, which is the premier destination. I looked this up. The premier destination for talented high school filmmakers and media arts enthusiasts from around the world. And your your first film here at Idlewild Arts got in. How did it feel to be validated by professionals in the field like that? Um, I definitely had to read the email uh, about <laughs> five times because I didn't really believe it. Um, it, I, I mean, of course, it felt amazing. Um, I, I, I had a lot of conflicting feelings. I think, uh, funny enough, I, you know, there was this kind of notion of do I deserve this? Because um, of all the, all, I mean, really, all my classmates who made it happen was, you know, it's not just me on a film set. It's not the director. It's, it's the entire crew, which makes everything happen. So um and initially we before COVID hit we were all going to take a field trip down there the whole crew who worked on it and go see the premiere um and that was really exciting but of course that didn't end up happening but yeah i, I don't know it, it felt i i felt really good but um 
definitely uh, a little strange. It's like, whoa, this is real now, I guess. It's like, this isn't just a dream anymore. Um, this could be this could be real. And I, I guess that was really, really amazing. And did you write the script? You, you wrote I did. The screenplay? Yeah. And so let me ask you about it. Um, it's a film that I... I watched again, right, in preparation for this, but I remember seeing it in, in Loman Hall, I think, on a big screen, uh, seeing it. And um, again, the film is Child of Society. It's very powerful. I can't play it because there's no dialogue, so our audience wouldn't hear anything. But tell, tell us about that. It was really, really powerful. Tell us, tell us about the, the story. Yeah, so um, my prompt to write this script was a, you know, around a two minute piece that had a dramatic decision within it um, and no dialogue. Uh, so I, I started thinking about that. And, you know, at that time in my life, um, you know, and I'd say every high schooler's life, you know, school shootings were in the media a lot. And um, and that that, you know, that's a very scary prospect to anybody who goes to high school and to any school really. And um, so I, I just, I, I found it so difficult and I still do, you know, with what I see in the media now is wrapping my head around um, how somebody my age could take life away from people. Um, and, and I, you know, would be watching the news and I, I just see this, this just consistent cycle of, you know, negative, horrible headlines that so many young people are being exposed to. Um, and just this really this desensitization um, within myself that I, I felt towards these headlines where um, to a certain point, I wasn't feeling the way I sh felt like I should be feeling. And so I, I took all of those conflicting emotions and I wrote a script, you know, kind of embodying what it's like to be a child um in this day and age and how the media treats violence in 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 our world and and how we're exposed to violence on a regular basis and um and just you know how that how that can affect somebody well it the script is it just brilliant i thought the film was just brilliant and so powerful um and especially to happen i didn't realize that was the prompt and so for that to happen in, in two minutes, you know, um, it, it's, uh, I hope it make it makes it to the big screen and I hope you don't expand one second past those two minutes because it's, it's just perfect. Let me ask you a question that I've heard. I've, I, I hear you filmmakers say all the time, um, is getting, you know, my film has been greenlit, um, you know, and again, a part of that pre-professional experience, what does that mean? And, and how hard is it to get your film greenlit? Um, so uh, essentially getting a film greenlit is is just a stamp of approval. Uh, so um, essentially uh, getting a film greenlit is the department's way of, you know, interpreting and, and um, showing us what goes on in the industry. Uh, so, you know, in the real world, outside of uh, a school setting, you take your scripts and pitch presentation to a studio and you pitch it to them and they decide if they want it to get made or not. Um, so that's what we do in the department. Um, we, you know, first we write our script and then we create a very detailed, in-depth, 
uh, presentation with visual references. I think you came to a uh, pitch presentation last year. I did. I was blown away. I, I couldn't believe all the work that went into that. Yeah. So, you know, a genre reel, uh, video storyboard, just all sorts of um, uh, examples to help convey your vision to the faculty and to the other students and get them excited about it and getting them wanting to make your film. And so then the, the faculty in this case or the studio outside of Idlewild would go and deliberate. And then um, more often than not here, they come back and they say, awesome. Well, either we're gonna, uh, you know, orange light this, yellow light this, and you can you tweak these few things and then cut, get back to us or perfect, greenlit, you're going into pre-production, we're gonna make this movie. So that that's kind of what that means. And how did that feel the first time that, that the department told you they greenlit one of your films? I was actually surprised because I didn't think they were going to like my idea. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm still not sure they totally loved it, but um, it, it felt good. It felt really good. Um, and uh, yeah. And so just an, another one of those moments of validation and, and just having to not tell myself not to question myself and just, and just continue to, to forge on ahead. Well, Wyatt, you're graduating in a few months. I, I don't even want those words to come out of my mouth. I can't imagine Idlewild Arts without you. You've been such a force and, and just so wonderful. But as you kind of think back on your three years here, what will you take with, with you? What will you miss? Oh, I'll miss a lot. Um, I'm going to miss my friends um, a lot. Uh, and especially, I'd say, my roommate, um, you know, uh, Elijah, you know, I was, he was the first person I met here. And from that moment, we've been best friends. And that's one of the special things about Idlewild is I didn't really have a lot of really good friends before I came here. And then just to immediately, you know, get somebody that amazing in your life is just, I can't express how lucky I feel when it comes to that. Um, and uh, I'm going to take with me the sense of community um, and the teamwork, because, uh, you know, especially within the film department, uh, filmmaking is such a team sport. You know, it is never about the individual. It is always about the crew as a whole. And um, I'm, you know, that's how it's like in the industry. And I, I think that's also just an important way to live your life um, is treat other people how you want to be treated. And um, to remember that, you know, it's everything is always so much bigger than you in, in, in every moment. Um, so I think that those are some very important life lessons that um, even uh, separate from filmmaking that I've learned and that I plan to take with me. That's that's beautiful and, and very well said. So next year, I think you're taking a gap year. Um, what are you going to do? Catch up on your sleep after three years? Of high school <laughs> what do you have planned? Yeah. Um, I gap year was always a, a was always something I, I kind of wanted to do. Um, and I now, um, especially with COVID being able to just kind of hopefully ride the rest of this out and um, then be able to go to college with, um, of course, it's going to be a new normal, but you know, a little bit more than if I went to college right after um, leaving here. Uh, recoup, as you said, and I have um, uh, a few internship opportunities uh, from people I've talked, have been talking to in the industry, um, and and might be able to end up working with them. 
And then, uh, funny as it may seem, uh, a dream of mine has always been to work in Yosemite National Park. So I want to get a, a job there and uh, hopefully give back to, to this world in some way. Um, climb a lot of rocks and uh, maintain trails, you know, do whatever they need me to do. Wyatt, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I cannot wait to see the indelible mark you're going to leave on this world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's um, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride and yeah, just thank you. My guest today was Wyatt Rosenthal, a young filmmaker and a three-year senior at Idlewild Arts Academy. I spoke with Wyatt via Zoom on March 7th, 2021. You've been listening to One World, One Idlewild, the series, presented by Idlewild Arts Foundation. We at Idlewild Arts have always believed that art is the greatest teacher of humanity. We continue to believe that the practice of creativity hones a person's desire and ability to affect global change. My name is Pamela Jordan. To learn more about the Academy and its world-renowned summer program, please visit idlewildarts.org. To subscribe to the One World, One Idlewild podcast, please visit idlewildarts.org slash the series. Join me next time when my guest is Ravita Franklin Bowers, retired head of school of the prestigious Center for Early Education in Los Angeles, California. Ravita and I talked about mentoring hundreds of school leaders throughout her 42-year career, the value of diversity and inclusion in independent schools, and her family's experience during the Black Wall Street Massacre in 1921. I will also speak with Amenta Skye, a senior in the music department at Idlewild Arts Academy and co-founder of the school's Black Student Union. I hope you'll join us. Thank you for listening to One World, One Idlewild, the series, a creation and production of Idlewild Arts Foundation. Executive produced by me, Pamela Jordan. Directed and produced by Rose Colella. Edited engineered and mastered by Justin Holmes. Graphic design by Mark Biley. Marketing and publicity by Wendy Winks. Marketing assistance by Rose Colella, Andrew Edwards, and Nick Ryan. Production and research assistance by Keith Miller. Creative consultation by Palencia Turner. Production support by Marianne Kent Stoll. Technical support by John Lawrence, Michael Quick, and Tom Wadbrook. Our theme song is Beaconing. It was composed and performed by the incomparable Marshall Hawkins. Pamela Jordan was appointed president of Idlewild Arts Foundation in 2014. Prior to this position, she held the distinction of being the first female and first African-American head of school of the Chicago Academy for the Arts, where she held the position for 12 years. She currently serves on the boards of the California Association of Independent Schools, the Association of Boarding Schools, and Art Schools Network, and is on the Global Education Advisory Council for Shanghai Huer Collegiate School Kanshan. One World, One Idlewild, the series, is a product of Idlewild Arts Foundation 
Any use of materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without the prior written consent of Idlewild Arts Foundation is strictly prohibited.